Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and today we have special guests sitting in the studio with us, Dylan Spicer. He's the owner of the Academy of Combat Arts in Fargo, North Dakota. How are you doing today, Dylan? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for having me. So for a lot of people who may not know who you are and know your background, first of all, where'd you grow up? Uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Okay. Now, did you get involved in martial arts at all as a young kid? Was there, and and if you did, was there something that sparked that interest? Yeah, probably um, Chuck Norris and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, <laughs> I believe I made it to like green belt in Taekwondo when I was a kid. And for whatever reason that, that kind of faded away and didn't uh, reignite my passion for martial arts until I was about 19. So. Now, did you wrestle in school also? No, I was, you uh, didn't. no hockey and tennis. Oh, oh yeah, wow. tennis. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to talk about that sometime. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big tennis fan. Oh, so really? awesome. yeah, maybe I'll start a tennis I, podcast too. <laughs> oh man, we have something now because I don't meet any tennis people in this town. Nice. I love tennis actually. That's, that's cool. Whole other conversation. There, okay. Right. Cool. So any specific Chuck Norris or Van Damme movies jump out that you remember? I, I actually, well, kickboxer, obviously. obviously. I just watched Bloodsport about two weeks ago again. So yeah, that was going to be next. And then uh, I'm trying to think, um, is it like MIA with Chuck Norris? I can't remember. Oh, missing an action. Missing an action, right? Like that was one. And And I'm watching, I watched Delta Force about a week ago too. So (laughs) that was pretty good. Chuck and uh, John Claude and Steven, all those guys in the eighties had some great movies. So that's kind of cool. So then you said not again until you were 19. What sparked it then? It's a cliche answer, but UFC won. I didn't pick Hoist to win, you know, <laughs> like I just didn't. And that, that really opened my eyes to like, uh, give me a much healthier, uh, I don't know, viewpoint on what was really effective, you know, in a fight like that. So uh, that really, that really changed things for me. And were you in Grand Forks when that interest sparked? Yes. Yep. I was uh, working at a video store that had all these uh, old VHS in it and he came into the store so uh i had a lot of time to watch movies <laughs> when nice. i should have been studying but um the ufc movies got worn out because i played them so much and it was like one through 20 or whatever and i just i, I just fell in love with that at that point and nice sought out some people in grand forks and that was where it all started so was there an actual school up there at the time or were you just kind of doing it on your own back then yeah no no there was a bunch of things going on i i initially a friend of mine his dad uh, ken mckilla he owns a Taekwondo gym up there. And mm-hmm. that was one of the first places I went. Cause I was like, well, I got to learn how to kick. I really want to learn from Ken. Cause I've heard some <laughs> things about his kicks. So I'm like, I'm going to go there. And I know his sons and his, both of his sons are real tough uh, kids and they were, they were childhood friends. So uh, that's, that was technically my first instructor. And then, uh, Eddie Obergon, he runs. Eddie's uh, great. Yeah. Eddie's yeah. very cool. He ran a boxing gym. So I started like, well, now I got to work my hands now. And then uh, I eventually, through some mutual friends, found Ken Greer, who owns Progressive Martial Arts up there still to this day. And the group was really small back then, and they were kind of doing, they were doing a lot of martial arts. I mean, they were doing whatever they could get their hands on, whether it be via, you know, DVD, or actually those weren't even 
hardly around yet, but like VHS and magazines and whatnot. So we had like, you know, Ken had a background in karate and um, there was a guy that was like a wrestler there. And so we were just drilling what people knew and that's kind of where, where everything started. Okay. And when the, did the first inkling come for you to actually step into the, the cage and, and uh, try it? Did you have a lot more training before then or were you one of those guys who thought I can do this? No, <laughs> no, I wasn't. I wasn't sold on fighting initially, but then it became something like it was like um, more of a test, like where I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was working and it wasn't effective. And um, so I was training up in Grand Forks and I had done a couple of private lessons at the academy with like uh, Nat McIntyre, um, who's the Muay Thai coach down there and um, jumped into the cage here. My first fight was here in Fargo and I mean, I, I won, but it, it, it it was a weird experience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember who your opponent was and which, which organization that was fight was for? Yeah, it was uh Dakota fighting championships. Oh, okay. Um, I fought Jericho Montan. He was from Winnipeg. I believe he trained with like Joe Dirksen and those guys. Back okay. In the day. But uh, it was a good fight. It was a three round fight. I was just really relieved to get out of there when it was all done. <laughs> I was like, man, that was, that was intense. So, and you decided to do it a few more times, obviously. I mean, you yeah. enough to, yeah. you enjoyed it at least enough to keep going. Yeah. It was just like a test that I had to put myself through every so often. I, at that time I wasn't like focused enough to have like aspirations of being in the UFC or whatever. It was more like, you know, I better get, in sh- I'm going to really focus here for a little bit. This is a way to test myself, prove my, myself I can do this. And I liked it enough. I liked it enough. That's for sure. But it wasn't like, you know, I, I had like my coach, Sean Shirk, he was just like so fired up after a fight. You know, the adrenaline was still pumping for me too, but it was more a sense of relief. Like, get me out of here. Like, this is, you know, I just want to go and relax again now. So I can picture Sean getting pumped up like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of those guys, Nick Thompson, like they would just ride that wave for weeks. And, you know, and even after I won, I was just like, all right, on to the next thing. Like, so then were you driving down to the cities to train down there or did you actually move down there for a I while? I eventually moved down there. Uh, me and my wife moved that way. We had our firstborn and she got a really good job down there. So <laughs> nice. To, yeah. So we moved down there and I immediately started training at the Academy who am I, I got in touch with by meeting uh, like Brock Larson and Jared Fairband out of Brainerd. They're actually the ones that kind of put me in touch with the Academy. I didn't even know at the time, like who was who or what was what. At that okay. Point. What was just kind of the experience of that, you know, at the Academy compared to some of the schools you were training with up in Grand Forks, what was the, some of the differences or maybe some stuff that stood out? Oh, well, the level of like intensity and professionalism, like, I mean, it was, I mean, there are levels to this shit as they say, right? Like <laughs> yep. it was, it just blew my mind. You know, we're, I was at a level and this is just like, you know, youth and ignorance speaking, but I, I was at a point like when I was, whatever, a couple of years into it. And I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm pretty tough, right? Like I train pretty hard and we throw down and practice and whatnot. And then I went to the Academy and boy, was I wrong. You know, like I was really wrong. Yeah. Kind of got put in your place a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. It was the best thing that could Humbling. happen to me. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. So how long were you down there then? Um, about nine years before I moved up here to Fargo. Okay. And then did, had you already had plans when you moved up here to open your own school or was that? Nope. That was just on the fly. That was just the grind of living in a big city, kind of, I don't know, it just changed my mind about things. I was working for myself at that time. We had a restoration business and I was in the car, you know, I was at work like 60 hours of work and um, a week, excuse me. And then I was in the car like an additional like 20 hours a week. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it was, just, I was spending my life in my car and that, that just got old. I was working with a lot of like hazardous materials and stuff and that that just wasn't good for my health either. And I was like, I need a, I need a way to stay healthy and continue to do the things I love while still being able to have time with my family and not spending it in a car, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or 
job site all the time. Um, so I was like, honey, we should move to Fargo and open a gym. It's <laughs> like, you're crazy, but we did it. It worked. Oh, that's a supportive wife, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously it, in the long run, it definitely worked out. Yep. So now when you opened it now at the time, to my knowledge, you were the only MMA focused gym in town. And then I think another one opened right around the same time or pretty close to it. Well, we came in after, I guess like, uh, like where Chris Nelson and some of those guys trained in town, there was a place, right. But then, yeah, I don't know Tyler if it was an Larson. official gym or not, but right. yeah. yeah. Garage training, Yeah, right? But then there was like, George Andrish was here before me. And and I don't know if they were like quite an MMA gym or just pure Yeah, I think they were pure jiu-jitsu when they first started. Tyler like, Larson, he was kind of doing a little bit of MMA, and they were here with the FM MMA. You know, that's right. A couple months before us. Okay. Um, so they were they had just all get, gotten there kind of, you know, right before me. But I kind of believed in our product a lot coming from the training with Sean Shirk and Nick Thompson, mm-hmm. some of those guys. Is. And then if I remember correctly, didn't your gym and Tyler's gym after a while combine together? Yes. What kind of led to that? Well, Jared, uh, Tyler was with Jared Farabend out of Brainerd. Mm-hmm. He's like a mutual friend. He's a really good friend of mine. And so we, we just, you know, we talked all the time and I was like, oh man, I don't really want to have problems with Tyler and I don't want it to separate us. So we just kind of came to an agreement initially where it was like, you know, if you guys want to train together, that's fine. And then eventually we were just like, well, let's just be all under the same roof because this doesn't make sense. You know? Was there ever any thought of <laughs> not doing it just so more opportunities for fighting each other in, in competition or did that never cross your mind? That didn't really cross my mind. Cause again, I didn't want to have problems with friends. I didn't want there to be like some competitive, you know, I don't know. I respected Jared Fairbend a lot. And I mm-hmm. was like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to fight your guys right now. Like we were training partners at the Academy. And so I didn't want to make, you know, enemies out of friends and stuff like that. And, and I kind of knew Tyler a little bit and we got along. It's just, you know, sometimes when you're too competitive, <laughs> things aren't always yep. amicable, you know? So now how long has your gym been going right now? When did you, when did you open? Uh, January, 2009 was basically right. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Cool. 11, years, years, 11, 11 years. years. Okay, cool. So now what ages do you teach at your gym? Um, all ages. We have, they're as young as uh, five and as old as 72. A little bit of everybody. So what made the decision to stop fighting and just focus more on teaching? What kind of led to that? Because I know you, you retired undefeated. What, mm-hmm. what, uh, what led to that decision? Well, I had to kind of make a choice because I realized, well, I was, you know, I fought a couple of times after I'd opened the gym, mm-hmm. but that was really difficult. And in a lot of ways, it was really selfish because then the focus becomes all about me. You know what I mean? And, yep. and I kind of lose track of the people around me and what I'm actually supposed to be doing. Like, I, I couldn't really do my job effectively. I mean, fighting's kind of a, it's almost a selfish sport in general just because a lot of <laughs> right. focus, your diet, I'm sore all the time, you know, those types of things. So it's hard on the people around you. And so that was probably trickling into my, you know, my business life, my gym life, you know, and I couldn't fulfill both roles. It, it would have been really hard to wear both of those hats at the same time and, and run a business. I mean, fighting's got a lot of stresses and owning your own business has a lot of its own stresses. Yes, so it does. It's, yeah. With those couple fights you did after you opened the gym, did it ever come into your to thought about what if I lose? How will that affect my gym? Was that ever something you thought of or just no? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, okay. that anytime you put yourself out there, you know, even if you didn't own a gym, those types of things like, well, my family's here. What if I lose in front of them? They're not going to respect me. Whatever, right. you know. And yeah, the, the thought definitely uh, polluted my mind a little bit when I was getting ready for some of those fights. But I was also trying to reassure myself that through everything else I was doing, you know, they would, you know, that it outweighed just like that one loss or whatever. So, right. so I guess I was, you know, hoping that they respected me enough that <laughs> it, I wasn't going to lose them if I, you know, went out there and, you know, got knocked out in 10 seconds or something. Because 
True. It happens to the best of them too, right? Yeah. So out of the fights you had, is there one that stands out kind of as more memorable than the others or do you kind of remember them all the same or? Yeah. My first one for sure stands really? out the most. Okay. Just that, that first experience, you know, that was a good awakening, good wake up call for me. I should yeah. Say. That's good. Yeah. So then right now your gym, how many students do you have? Uh, around 150, 160. Oh, wow. Right in there. That's impressive. Congrats. Okay. So now is this your full-time job? Yes, it is. And how has that been your full-time job since you started it? Or did it take a while to build up to that? It took quite a while to build up to that. So when we first came to town, because of my history and working in the cities and doing this like restoration that we did, I'd worked with a friend at Grand Forks. I was driving to Grand Forks every morning, driving back, <laughs> running classes Man. at night. And then when that got old, after about two years, I started working for UPS and I was working like a night shift there for a little while. Wow. And then every so often I would go back to Grand Forks and, and help my buddy's business up there and, and work for him. So a lot of that off and on over the years. And it did what, did what it jobs. took though. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And you've had obviously a lot of success I and mean, you've had a lot of your students that have got on and, and become pretty known. I mean, I, yep. if I remember the first one was the first one, Pablo. Yeah. Pablo and Dane, the, the first big uh, experience, I guess you could say was when they both got on the ultimate fighter, they both got selected. Pablo ended up losing to get mm -hmm. into the house. Uh, he lost a decision to Michael Johnson, who oh. would eventually go on to win it, and is still fighting in the UFC to this day. So, yeah, it was those two guys. That was kind of our first big you know, break, if you will. So what was that first experience like cornering someone in the UFC? Compared, I mean, obviously, so much bigger than just a local event. But, I mean, even local events are still pretty cool. And with right. the, some of the local promoters we had here in the past put on some great shows. Yes, but kind of just the different experience with the UFC and being there. Yeah, that's a whole other level. Yeah. It, initially, I didn't feel like I belonged. You know, I was like, well, I was very timid and, you know, not really sure of my place there. Obviously, you know, it's a lot of like people that I always looked up to and I'm in a room with them thinking like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, like, <laughs> nice. not feeling adequate enough. Right. But they, everyone at that level is really cool. You know, and you come to some of these local shows and there might be a guy like, you know, another cornerman or coach, like kind of mean mugging you in the locker room. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? You know, like, this is not the place for that. But at the UFC, like everybody, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the people there are just great people. And the level of professionalism and how fast and organized and everything was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was pretty special. Not to mention, I got to watch, like, you know, we'd share locker rooms with like George St. Pierre, Jay oh, wow. Shields or Carlos Condit and all these other guys. So we got to kind of see what they were doing. We'd spend the week with some of these people, you okay. know, and we get to see how they trained leading up to a fight. So it was a good experience all around because I was picking up like a lot of new information, learning new techniques, seeing what other people did to get ready for a fight, for everything from the weight cut to the, you know, sort of the mental coaching that some of the guys would do, you know, so that was really beneficial for me as a coach and, and as a student. So did you ever see any either within the UFC or any of the events you went to, have you ever see any weird pre-fight rituals, like superstitious type things? Yeah. I've seen a few. Uh, who was it that, um, gosh, I can see Gunner, Gunner Nelson. Okay. Doesn't do anything. Just sits there. Like I, I maybe watched him like stretch for like 10 seconds. Really? Through a couple, like three punches, taped his wrist, didn't even tape his hands, put the UFC gloves over. And that was it. Like, wow. It was like, the shortest warm up I've ever seen. So no warm up at all. That was that was pretty crazy. And I think he went out and won that night actually. I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw that Ian Eintwistle, he was uh at one of the events we were at and he all he did was leg locks for like his whole warm up. 
And I'm thinking like, you're not going to throw any punches or whatever, you know, and all he was doing was like leg lock warm ups. I'm mm-hmm. like, and that's what he tried to do the whole fight. So I guess it makes sense. But I was thinking, man, you might want to, you know, his plan A fails. I don't know. Nice. Me, but I just thought it was weird. And I, I just really remember all the stuff he was doing. So. So you kind of mentioned the weight cutting a little bit. Just curious about that. Now, that's been a controversial topic for so many years. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, that's really up to the fighter, you know, and, and how in tune with their body that they are. I mean, I've seen some guys just like absolutely torture themselves. And then some guys have it really under control. Like um, speaking um, about Pablo specifically, like a lot of people were amazed that he could make 45. <laughs> they didn't realize he didn't have any legs or ass. So it was like just like a <laughs> bone from his back, right? And so uh, his weight cut, like despite how big he was up top, it, it was kind of challenging at times. But, you know, like he, he dealt with it really well. And, you know, some guys, you know, they, they're like, you have to carry him out of the sauna or whatever. And in, in a case like that, I don't think they need to be cutting weight. We maybe need to find a new weight class for you. I wouldn't be opposed to them adding more weight classes, you know, like every 10 pounds, basically 110 to 120, 20 to Have people fight more at their walking around weight maybe? Or? Yeah, you know, th- that might be like healthier long term. Yeah. But, I mean, I think at this point, like people are starting to figure it out a little bit better. Yeah. It's one thing that always kind of, you know, not really surprised me, but more confused me was that, you know, you, you weigh in at a certain weight, but then by the actual fight, you're 20 pounds heavier. Right. <laughs> and if both guys are 20 pounds heavier, why not just fight at that heavier weight class anyway? Yeah. I mean, to me, that would make more sense. But, you know, <laughs> like you said, not everyone's doing that, I suppose. But right. I used to see like Nick Thompson walk around at like 220 pounds before a fight camp would start. He'd be on like a Ben and Jerry's diet. And then within like nine weeks, he was down to, you know, 180 and then couldn't wow. wait to make 170, you know, just like cleaning up his diet really well, you know, drinking enough water, doing all the right things. And so it never seemed to be, you know, an issue for him. I mean, it was hard, but yeah, you know, right. Mean, these guys are fighters, you know, they're pretty tough. <laughs> so how important do you think it is for, I've always been a proponent, I, my personal opinion, I think everyone, at least at some point in their life should try martial arts, especially kids. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I know at one point you mentioned Chuck Norris early on. I don't know if you knew yeah. about his program he had back in the eighties where he actually had, I think it was like 400 schools in Texas where he got it implemented into the school system for sixth through eighth grade. and It was mandatory. Yeah. So uh, what would your thoughts on something like that be? Would you like to see some more of that being mandatory martial arts training? Oh, absolutely. I don't see how that wouldn't be beneficial in any way for any kid. Um, from the, the, you know, some of the most unathletic kids to the most athletic kids, like it doesn't matter. It's going to benefit everyone and it's going to benefit them all in many different ways. You know, I wish that our school system would implement, uh, you know, some martial arts training or whatever into you know, their, their phi ed curriculum or whatever. I tried about 10 years ago. I actually uh, had a proposal to the school board for uh, Ben Franklin Jr. High because I was working with a, a teacher there who had a program of at-risk kids and stuff and I actually pitched the idea to her and she loved it. Yeah. And uh, vice principal even loved the idea, but school board wouldn't budge. They thought it was, you know, too many risks with insurance and stuff. And yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, if they get the wrong idea about it too, too often they think it's just going to be us beating the crap out of each fight other. club well, yeah fight <laughs> exactly. club and it's not it's like we're gonna control the kids we're gonna make sure to the best of our ability they're not gonna get her obviously sometimes things can happen but it's like we're not gonna let them bare knuckle box you know and, and i think that's what some people think yeah I, I wish i wish it was a part of our our everyday lives like it should just be i don't know everyone would be healthier so what are some of the uh, philosophies you've learned in martial arts that you kind of let you, you know, within your everyday life and kind of let that uh, guide you maybe or something? Uh, perseverance, probably the biggest one, just to kind of like stick with it. 
know, not, not bring out your white flag yet. That's probably been the one that I've recognized the most so far anyway. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to, there's others that I haven't recognized yet, but that one seems to be the one that resonates with me the most. It's like, you know, when you're in a really bad spot in a fight, if you can, you know, endure that and withstand that for a little while, you can, there's a lot more that you can take. And as that applies to real life, you know, it's the same, like right now with this lockdown and everything that was just happening and the virus, it's, you know, that helped me in business a lot. It's like, okay, things are going to be rough, but I'm pretty sure if I, we just keep working hard and grind this out, like things are going to be okay. And, and they are so far. So that's good. So now do you, you know, obviously with the, the pandemic and the lockdown ending, have you seen some of your, any of your students hesitant to come back or is pretty much once you were open, everyone showed up? Everyone showed up. Nice. Yeah. We hardly lost anyone. We're really grateful for all our students to stick through. It's like nobody canceled their memberships or anything. Um, so that, that was, um, that says a lot about you and your school too. So yeah, that was really heartwarming. That was really something that we were really blown away by. We thought, okay, we're going to lose like half of our members through all of this. And we did, we lost like 10 and they were all students that were from out of town that once the schools closed, they're like, I'm just going to be moving back to Wisconsin. You probably would have lost them anyway. Yeah. We would have lost them anyway in the summer. So it, it didn't hurt so bad, but yeah, most people, as soon as we opened the doors, they wanted to all come rushing in. So we we kind of had to slow that down a little bit. So then as a parent yourself, if uh, someone approached you, just a, a general parent and was looking for advice on what to look for in a martial arts school for their child, what are some of the things you would advise people to to look for in a school for a child? And what are some important aspects you think, you know, maybe not specifically just about your school, but just in general? Yeah, well, I would first talk to the parents. I'd probably ask them a lot of questions to see like what they're hoping to gain out of it or what they want to see out of their kid or why they want their kid training martial arts. That way we can kind of cater to the kid a little bit more, or maybe we can anticipate like his needs. You know, maybe the kid's got like severe ADHD or something like that. And I want to know that because then, you know, it's like, well, I had that too. So <laughs> now I know what to expect and we yep. can deal with, we can manage the kid a little bit better and we know how to handle them and whatnot. And so um, that's kind of the first thing I would do is talk to the parents and see what, see what they want out of it, you know, and make sure it's something we can provide. It really depends on, on what they want, but uh um, we get a lot of people and kids that come here for different reasons. You know, some are athletes and they're just like, I want to, this is where I want to train. I don't want to go and work with a personal trainer. And some people just come here and they're like, I just want my kid to lose weight. You know what I mean? They don't even care about any other aspect. They don't see any other benefit of the martial arts. They're just like, he needs to be doing something. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> better than nothing. Better well than as nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But at least we know, you know what I mean? Like, okay, here's our goals with the kid. And you know, so part of it is just like, keep the client happy. Okay. So just a couple last fun questions to wrap it up. First of all, do you have a favorite martial arts book, either that you've read yourself many times or one that you have recommend to people if they ask about it? Yeah. Um, Zen in the martial arts by Bill Iams was one of the first martial arts books that I read and that really that. blew my mind. And then, uh, you know, like jujitsu books, like, uh, yep. Salo Ribeiro's, uh, jujitsu university is probably one of my favorite just like I mean, there's a lot of pictures in it, but it's like overall, it's a well-written, good technical book. You know, Hanzo Gracie's Mastering Jiu-Jitsu, obviously Bruce Lee's. Um, the Tao of Jeet Do is yes. a big one. The yep. Book of Five Rings. Like those are kind of cliche answers. They're all good yep. books, but Bill Hyams and in the martial arts was one that was really kind of motivating. And then there's this other book. Uh, I can't think of the title. It's about the All Blacks rugby team, and it's not a martial arts book. Okay. It's like a performance athlete book, uh, but it talks about like the culture you know, how, how the Maori culture is ingrained in the, 
you know, in the football club and the type of rituals and things they do to prepare. There's, there's a lot of connections here to martial arts with this book. So it might as well be a martial arts book, but it's a rugby book. I can't think of the name of it, but yeah, I'll look it up and. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. I'll add, I'll add those in the show notes and stuff. And then uh, a final fun question is, well, maybe two, depending on your answer, uh, favorite martial arts movie and or favorite martial arts TV show of all time, guilty pleasures or something like that. Or favorite martial arts movie. Wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Most people aren't. It's yeah. a favorite martial arts movie. There's too many. Um, and you can name more than one if you want, but yeah. Uh, I probably, I'm torn. It's either Yojimbo or Sanjuro by Akira Kurosawa. They're both black and white. I, I love Kurosawa. Yes. yes. Um, Yojimbo. I'm going to go with Yojimbo. That's okay. probably my favorite martial arts movie. Okay. And do you have a favorite martial arts TV series? TV series? <sighs> I didn't really get into it. Not a lot of TV okay. in my life ever. So. I didn't get into like any, any TVs. Power Rangers, Ninja Turtles, you know, yeah, stuff no, like that. <laughs> yeah. Ninja Turtles, maybe, you yeah. know, they were cool, but again, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of TV time when I was a kid. Yeah. And on mine, there was one in the early eighties that uh, not a lot of people remember called the master. And it was only on for one season starred uh, Lee Van Cleef and Timothy Van Patten. It was about an old uh, white American guy who was a ninja in the U S searching for his son and took this young kid under his wing. Okay. I think Demi Moore was in like the pilot episode. I mean, it was like 83 or something. So the masters, it's called the master. Yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's hard to find. I, I found it on eBay many years ago. So oh, I actually have season one. Obscure. Okay. Yeah. It's that obscure, but it was kind of fun, but I just want to thank you again for taking the time thank to do this. Ryan. It's been fun getting to know you and learning about your background and stuff and and like i said we'll we'll add a link to your school in the show notes and and any anything else you want me to add in there just uh, send me links and i will make sure people hear about it so awesome. i appreciate it thanks again enjoy the rest of your day thank you you too brian Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.